Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. It says in another version, peculiar people. Because we're set apart for the Lord, but in a special way. So peculiar people. We're not like everybody else. Different. Zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works? You think about that. You roll around in bed thinking about what you could do for the Lord. God said, I died to do this in your life, to separate you to me, that you my own special, my own peculiar people, and that you be zealous for good works. Because when I really understand all that Christ has done for me, I ought to be hopping and jumping to do something great for him. In our world around us, we are often bombarded with many conflicting ideas of who Jesus was. Some say that he was just a man. Others say that he was some kind of superhero. In today's message, Pastor Bill explains how we are assured that Jesus is who he says he is, God incarnate and the Word among us. He is not just a gifted teacher or religious figure. He came to save you from your sin and redeem your life. Follow him into his kingdom and invest in your eternity. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Titus chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. There's something about a young man submitted, surrendered to God. So we need to encourage him. We need to encourage him, challenge him. And, and notice what they're being told to do. All the direction speaks to what they would naturally, they would naturally not be sober-minded. They would naturally be all over the place. So we're exhorting them, be sober-minded. Put away some of those things that got you all spun out. Because, you know, what, what you typically do when you don't focus on mind, you, you fill it with other distractions. And that's what you see young men doing. What do they, they got... Video games is one of the biggest probably distractions that um, over over the years of doing high school ministry and young adult ministry, I find young men, I'm like, since I know you're not giving your mind to God, I start looking for where your mind is given to. And it'll be given to a couple of things. Video games is the biggest waste where all their energy time and they start dreaming about you could actually make a living doing this, you know, and it's like, man, that's like hitting a lotto anyway. So, you know, but they, they, their mind is because it's not given to God, it's got to be given to something and whatever is given to, they'll be good at it. It might be a sport. It might be a video game or you'll find some young people that give their lives to the Lord and it'll be the Lord and something they could do for him. And so I do always, always encourage parents when they got young people that are saved, give them something they could do for God. Give them, make them pick up an instrument, make them pick up a discipline, make them pick up something that they could offer back to God one day because they got time. They got time for everything else. They got time for that, too. You want to encourage them in that. And so that the young man, that they be sober minded. And verse seven, it says in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and the pattern. Right. A pattern is just something that consistent, a consistent pattern of the life of a, a man or woman of God should be. There should be a pattern of good works. You should look at your life and just see that, man, this person, their works are good. It's just a pattern of their life. It's not an occasional good work. It's not here and there. You do something good, but it should be kind of the consistent pattern of the man, the woman of God, that there's a consistent pattern of good works. Now, again, speaking of Titus in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing to say of you. And so, again, it's for Titus and for anybody else that's going to speak the word of God. You want to have integrity as you speak it. That means you need to study. You need to show yourself approved. You don't want to be saying stuff that's false, misinterpreting scripture. You want to have integrity, what you say, because after you said it, 
someone may come and challenge it. Well, if they come and challenge it, you want to be found to have been accurate in the first place, that you wouldn't be ashamed, that those that are accusing you would be ashamed. God knew, Paul knew that Titus was going to be in a place where his preaching was going to be challenged by the false teachers that were there. Paul said, that's fine. Just be, make sure that there's integrity to your speech. So when they do challenge you, they'll be found wrong. That you can say the things that you say with great authority. And so everybody here knows when you know what you're talking about. You mean somebody comes and say, no, it's not. And you just you kind of put your foot down. You just kind of, yes, it is. You know, you just you kind of stand your ground. You know, you're not like, well, maybe, maybe I, th- I thought it was. You know, you can't be preaching a word like that. I, I, I thought Jesus was God. You, he's not God. You know, you can't be like that. You have to know that, no, Jesus is God. That you preach it with authority. Um, again, there's integrity in your teaching, reverence. There's incorruptibility, sound speech. That cannot be condemned. Again, that those that may oppose you, they'd be made ashamed. Now, in verse nine, we switch gears. This kind of difficult subject for some people. We're dealing with back in that era, there was there was slavery. Um, I've explained it before, but I will explain it again. There were different ways that people ended up in slavery here. For most of us, when you think of slavery, you think of African slavery. That's what I think. When I think of slavery, I think of black folk that was in Africa, living very happy, that got taken captive, thrown on boats, brought over here, put on the block, sold to folk to go do stuff they didn't want to do against their will, got beat if they didn't do it. That's what my mind thinks of when I think of slavery. That ain't the case over here. Over here, slavery would work out like this. You might be born to broke parents. And they're like, man, we cannot feed Jimmy. Jimmy eat a lot. You know, we, you know, we, you know, we're going to sell them. You know, we, we made this family over here. They, they're rich. They got a lot of money. They need servants. You know, we, we're, they, a, a child could be sold into slavery. Parents could have a child as servants themselves. They could be in servitude. And so their children would born would become servants in that same scenario. It could be a case where it would be like employment. You ain't got a job. And in that culture, I mean, if you don't work, you don't eat. And so you see somebody, you guys hiring servants? I'll, I'll be one. Can I, can I, I'll you live as a living servant. Once you got into that relationship. And so I would liken it to us more to our employee employer relationship as a servant. Uh, again, you know, I don't call y'all slaves, but some of y'all feel like y'all slaves at work. They slaving me at work, cracking the whip and everything. But you get paid, don't you? They also were taken care of. And so there was a certain way that as a believer, they were to conduct themselves in that environment. Now, if you're in a servitude, you're in that, however you got there, you might not like it, but that's where you are. God never condoned slavery where they took people and made them captive and those sort of things. But God said, hey, if you, as a Christian, you need to be different in every area of life. If you're, if you're a Christian and your job, if you're one of the few people that get a job that love the Lord, there should be something remarkably different about the way you work than everybody else. Your employer should look at you and be like, man, her, him. I trust them. They should just be something different about you. When everybody else take an hour and 10 minutes for that one hour break y'all supposed to have, you should be back in there an hour. When everybody else is, 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 you know, calling in sick to watch the game, you know, you you should just be something remarkably different and and there should be an integrity about you. And so he speaks to that right here. Verse nine, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. There'd be obedience, submission to those that are in authority over you. To be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. Well-pleasing, that means I'm doing my best. I'm doing a good job. I, my, my time spent working here, I'm seeking to do a good job. That it would be well-pleasing to those over me. Then it says, not answering back. I just, everybody know what that means. Just back talk. Talking back. Why? How come? She didn't have to do it. You know, God said that that's not how I was a believer. 
That's not how it's supposed to be. You shouldn't be in there answering back, giving them a difficult time. There should just be something different about you as a believer. Verse 10, interesting word here, not pilfering. It means to embezzle or to steal. So it's not stealing from work. And for you guys at the conference, Pastor Tony touched on this, but there's a lot of different ways you can steal from work, right? If you got a 30 minute break and you take 45, you stole 15 minutes from your company. If you realize at home, your, your students at home are running low on pencils and they got a big box of them at work and you take a few, you stole from work. It seems little, but you stole. You took it from them. You didn't ask for it. You just took it. Um, you're stealing materials, staplers and tape and, and all kind of office supplies. And it seems little, but it's stealing. They didn't give it to you. They didn't buy it for your household. Then you get a paycheck. Go buy your own, right? That we wouldn't be doing that. We wouldn't take advantage of our position at work to take from the people that we work for, embezzling or stealing. That's what that word pilfering means. It says, but this, showing all good fidelity, faithfulness, showing, just showing that there's faithfulness, just trustworthiness about you, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things, that in your time at work, God can be glorified through how you work, through how you serve. That's the idea. And again, for those at this time that would have been in slavery, they would have been in a servitude, a role of of service, that they would glorify God as such. Um, They weren't to revolt. God didn't tell them to try to get out of it. He didn't say buck up against the massa. You know, God said, hey, glorify me in your current condition. I can be glorified here. It was interesting there because within the church, there would be times where you had a Christian slave owners and Christian slaves. and They would go to church and the slave was the elder at the church. He'd be the elder, he'd be there, he'd be ministering the word, and then they go back home and he didn't submit to his boss. It'd be like if I worked at a job and I had a boss at work, but he fellowshiped at church with me. That relationship should be smooth. It should be, hey, at work, I submit to you. I roll with your program at, at church. There's a different order, you know, but, but this person's living in such a way where there's not a discrepancy in between the two things. And so moving on, verse 11 it says, or verse 11 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. And so interesting here, it says the grace of God teaches us what God's grace is his unmerited favor. God giving us what we don't deserve. But God says here, hey, my grace can teach people. The grace of God has appeared to all men. Um, every it's been made available to everybody. It, it, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everybody. Now, everybody doesn't get saved, but it's appeared to everybody. God's grace, God's goodness. God, and that's why we want to be faithful to preach the gospel. When I preach the gospel, it's a message of grace. I'm telling people that, that are sinners. And this is something you don't deserve. It, but let me tell you what God did for you. Even while you were yet a sinner. He loved you right now. He loved you in the midst of what you're doing right now. And he loved you so much. He did this for you. Grace. I know you don't deserve it, but he did it. It's God's grace. That's always in the message of the gospel. So the grace of God that, that appears to all men teaching us. So grace can be a teacher. How does grace teach someone? How does giving someone unmerited favor? How does it teach them? Because it's, it's teaching them that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that they should live a certain kind of way. They should live righteously, soberly, righteous, godly in the present age. How does grace teach someone that? Sometimes, you know, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. And sometimes there are people that under God's grace, they just recognizing God's goodness, God's continued goodness through their failure brings a person to a place where they just say, man, I just I just want to do better. You know, I just want to serve God. I want to do better. There are times we want to apply grace to people. Um, just God's grace. 
Right now, you don't deserve it. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to tell you why I'm giving you grace. And hopefully it'll be a teacher. Because if grace don't teach you, I got another I got another I got another one to teach you. You know, I, I do this with my kids at times. There'll be times where, you know, my son got a job, you know, clean up the dog stuff every day and get don't make it. We don't want to step in none. You know, there was a week where he, he didn't do what he's supposed to do. So I said, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve this week. I'm gonna still give you your allowance. I'm going to give it to you. Um, don't let it happen again next week. So I gave Grace the opportunity to teach. And for a couple of days, it worked. <laughs> but, then, but then when Grace didn't teach that next week, I said, man, you did it again. You ain't getting none. And then not only did I not give him allowance, all the normal stuff that as a dad, I do. Hey, dad, can I have one of those? No, no, you don't work. You know, you, you did a bad job working this week, so I ain't got nothing for you. Dad, can, I, can you give me a quarter? Mm, it's stuff that I would always be kind of automatic. It was like, nope, nope, nope. For a whole week, I just shut him down. Ain't nothing. I gave great grace. Could have taught you. Could have said, oh, my dad gave me some money there. I'm going to do good this week. But you didn't. Grace don't teach everybody, but it can be a teacher. And you need to give opportunity for that with your kids, with other people. Sometimes you just give grace. And I'm going to give you what you don't deserve and see what you do with it. For some people, they're just moved by that. God's goodness. Other people, if grace don't teach them, there's some other methods. So we know what those are. So moving on, the grace of God that appears to all men, teaching us denying ungodliness. That's what we're to do, deny ungodliness, that we're not to live that way. Denying worldly lust, that we wouldn't be going after lusting. Lust, the word lust means strong desire. That I wouldn't be having a strong desire for the stuff of this world. Denying that, not going after that. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should be living righteously, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That God wants me to live a certain kind of way now. And I think it's important for Christians to know that God has an expectation on how we live now. As a Christian, if your life should just be different, it's always a shame when there are Christians among non-believers, but there's no difference. They can no one can pick out the Christian. You know, there's nothing different about your speech, your behavior, what you watch, what you hear, where you go, what you do. It should just be different. It should even be work. It should just be a difference as you're someone that's saying I'm submitting my life to Christ and I obey him. My life should begin to look very different than someone that says, I don't know God. And I'm not even trying to walk with him. It'd be like somebody saying, my goal in life is to be super duper fit. And someone over here that says, I don't care about my physical fitness whatsoever. Those two people's daily conduct should be different. This person should be eating different, doing different activities. It should just be a different life. So, so too spiritually. Someone that says, I've devoted my life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He tells me what to do when I do it. I'm, I'm in a submitted relationship with God. And someone over here that says, I don't know God. I'm not trying to walk with God. I'm just doing me. Then these lives shouldn't look the same. And if they do, somebody's lying. It's probably not this person over here that's saying they're not saved. So, you know, they, they doing them for sure. So there should just be a, a, a real big difference between the two. And so verse 13, it says, looking for the blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Um, the idea here, verse 13, it says that we're looking for the blessed hope. Christians are looking for it. We, 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 we celebrate communion. When we look back at what Jesus did for us. But we're also looking forward, right? What are we looking forward to as believers? What are, we, what are we waiting on right now? What could happen at any moment? The rapture of the church, right? We're waiting on the day. There's a time where God says, I'm coming back. 
to receive my people to myself. I'm going to I'm going to I'm coming back for those that belong to me. There will be a day where the church of Jesus Christ are raptured, caught up to be with the Lord. Um, if you're writing notes, you could write down um, First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. I'll read it to you real quick. It says this. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, died. Least you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Those that have died, they've gone to be with the Lord. Absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. And so their believers are going to be on earth. We're going to meet up with them. And so he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Everybody say the word rapture is not in the Bible. That phrase caught up in the Greek is raptura, where we get our English word rapture from. So the word rapture itself is not in the Bible, but the teaching of it is right here. First Thessalonians 4, 17, that we shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And this is the best part. And from that point on, it says, and we and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so we look forward to a day we're going to meet the Lord, even meet him through death or rapture. But you're going to meet the Lord. And the cool thing is, once you get with the Lord forever, right? It's not like I'm going to get with the Lord and it's like he's going to take a break from me. You know, you might it's, once you get with him forever, forever, you're going to be with the Lord. That's what that's the that's going to be the best part about heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm going to see you all there. We gonna slap five and hallelujah and everything else. But we're going to be with Jesus. That's the glorious hope. That's what we're looking forward to. And so that should impact my living. Right. When the Lord comes back, what do I want him to find me doing? I hope God comes back when I'm doing something that he likes. I hope he shows up and you just you preaching the gospel, praying for your neighbor, feeding somebody. I hope God shows up. You know, do you want God to show up when you're doing some dumb stuff? Then stop doing dumb stuff. You know, that's, that's what's going to happen. You know, you, the Lord is coming back. And when he comes back, I, I want to be someone that he finds me so doing, doing the thing that he called me to do with my life. And so if that becomes your pattern, right, just a pattern of living for the Lord, then you'll be doing what you're supposed to be doing. You'll be right where you need to be. And the Lord come back. You'll be caught up to be with the Lord. Amen. That's what we're looking forward to. And that that should that should impact our conduct in this life that I'm thankful for what the Lord already did. Death, resurrection saved me. And I'm looking forward to him coming to get me. I want to be I want to glorify him with the rest of this life. Right. The rest of this window of time on earth. I wanted to glorify God because this window is small. My eternal window is, 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 is eternal. It's never going to end. And that's why it becomes such a big deal. What we do with Jesus, because some people they're saved. And now they're sowing into eternity for the rest of their Christian life. You'd be storing treasure in heaven where you're going to spend it. Other people have not surrendered heart, surrendered life to Christ. They're storing up wrath. Do you know the hell is going to have uh, as heaven right in heaven? We ain't all going to have the same thing. If you serve God for 30 years, sacrificially and faithfully, and you store treasure in heaven, it ain't going to be the same for you. As for somebody that on their deathbed said, okay, uncle, you know, and they got saved. They get to go to heaven, which is amazing and gracious and wonderful. And I'm glad that they're going, but it ain't going to be the same thing. There'll be no treasure. They won't be sad. They're going to be so glad they're there. And we're going to be glad they're there too. But it's going to be different. Well, hell is different too. And some people don't understand this, but hell is going to be bad for everybody. But it's going to be worse for some people. Anybody know who is hell worse for? Someone that do what I do. If I could, if I do this and I go to hell. 
That means I went to hell with my eyes wide open. I absolutely understand who God is. I understand his word. I understand how to get saved. And I, if, I'm, if I reject him in all of this, hell's going to be hotter. It's going to be worse. For people that have been made aware, have had great exposure to the things of God, yet still rejected him. Hell will be worse. God said it in one place. He said it's going to be worse for this group in judgment. When Jesus came, there was a group that had rejected him. It's going to be worse for them, he says, than the people that died in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, they're in hell, too. And it ain't pleasant for them, but it's going to be worse for them. Why? Because their exposure to Jesus was greater and they rejected him with greater exposure. And so as God has been faithful to expose you to himself, you want to make sure you, you take that in. That you don't want to get good at hardening your heart. You don't want to get good at rejecting the Lord. It's bad for you now and it's worse for you in eternity. You want to get good at submitting and receiving God and his word. Amen. Last verse. He says, oh, sorry. The last part of verse 14, 14 and 15. It says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. So why did Jesus give himself away? Three things that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. God wants to redeem me from a life where I'm doing, where I'm breaking commandments and I'm living in sin to purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. God said, I want to, I want to redeem you from empty life. I want to purify you for myself, my own special people, for you guys that are married, right? You set aside a wife. I have a wife set aside just for me. I'm not sharing. Uh, for you women that are married, you got a husband he set aside just for you. Nobody's sharing your own special people. Guys, that's why I want you, my own special people. It says in another version, peculiar people. Because we're set apart for the Lord, but in a special way. So peculiar people. We're not like everybody else. It's different. Zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works? You think about that. You roll around in bed thinking about what you could do for the Lord. God said, That's, I died to do this in your life, to separate you to me, that you my own special, my own peculiar people, and that you be zealous for good works. Because when I really understand all the Christ has done for me, I ought to be hopping and jumping to do something great for him. And so he said, I'm, I, and so know that God wants us to be zealous for good works. So if you're not, if everybody's got to always be running behind you, begging you to do stuff for the Lord, that ain't right. You supposed to have your own zeal. And some people are zealous about things. It's the wrong things. Zealous for good works. We need a, a, our zeal needs to be aimed God's direction. We'd be zealous to do great things for him. And last verse says, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Paul ends this chapter telling Titus, speak these things to the people that you're ministering to. He said, exhort them. Uh, that means uh, exhort. I'm encouraging you to do stuff. He said, rebuke them. When they're doing wrong, tell them that's you doing it wrong because God said do it like this. And he says with all authority that you not be ashamed. Let nobody despise you. That when you speak God's word, you do it with authority. You don't fall back on it. You have authority to speak these things to God's people. That's what Paul is telling Titus. And so to you and I, as we get acquainted with the word of God and we're ministering it, we want to do it with his authority. Not with authority is different than arrogance. Um, authority is just a thing of like, I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not apologizing for it. There's some doctrines and things that our world is so against them that you got Christians almost backpedaling like, well, you know, I'm really sorry that you feel this way. And, you know, it's like, don't apologize for God's truth. Like he wrong. You know, when you apologize, like a, a, a if, if I tell my kids, you know, you can't have a cookie. And my wife said, your dad said you can't have. Aw, I'm sorry, your dad's not letting you have a cookie. Who does that make look bad? That made me look bad. Right. You're messing with my authority. Um, that's what we do to God when we don't 
speak his word with authority. Did God say this wrong? To, yeah, God said that's wrong. It's a sin. You'll go to hell if you live like that and don't get forgiven. You don't say, well, you know, I, I don't know why he said that. You know, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, he said it though. You know, you don't apologize for it. You just say it like, look, he said it. He's God. He ain't going to be wrong. That's what it is. Get your life in order. You've been listening to a transforming word as Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Titus. This book is another letter penned by the Apostle Paul. Titus was a respected friend and fellow worker in the ministry. Paul had even traveled with Titus to the island of Crete at one point. So when Paul wrote this letter to Titus, it was meant to encourage him in the work that was going on. In a similar way as people before him, Paul counseled Titus to set up some others that could be trusted to uphold things that were true and pure about the word and about Christianity. You see, many people were trying to corrupt the scriptures and were trying to establish false teaching. But Paul was reminding Titus of the things that really mattered and that God's word needed to be protected. Isn't this how it is today too? There are all kinds of fronts that come at the church and at God's word on a daily basis. Being solidly grounded in the Word of God is where your efforts should be so that the truth can be spread. We're happy you have been a part of today's edition of A Transforming Word. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. We believe that life is done better in community, and we'd love to have you be a part of ours. We're located in Inglewood, California, so if you're in the area, we'd love to see you come this Sunday at 9 or 11 in the morning. Or you can join us on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Find all the information you need at CalvaryInglewood.org. Well, we'll be back in Titus next time on A Transforming Word. <laughs>